Hi, everybody. This is Angela. I'm editor of Interrobang at, from the Fanshawe Student Union, uh, here for this week's episode of the Interrobang podcast. This week, I am talking to Vanessa Patterson. Uh, she's a 2019 alumni of Western University. She graduated in media, information, and technoculture. And I'm here to talk to Vanessa about a new Instagram account called UWO Minority Story. Vanessa, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> it's nice to meet you. Um, I'm just going to launch right into it. I'm going to have you tell the story yourself. What is UWO Minority Story? Okay, so, <clears throat> whoa. Okay, so, <laughs> uh, <laughs> UWO Minority Story, it's an Instagram account where I ask people from marginalized communities at Western to submit stories of injustice, uh, microaggressions, downright discrimination and it's a platform where they can share them anonymously and without judgment just so that people don't feel alone in their experience. Um, I started the account because um, early in June uh, after the death of George Floyd I saw the Instagram account Black at Harvard Law and I kind of had one of those Canadian moments where I was like man this is awful as I was reading these stories and then a couple months later, or not even months, weeks, sorry, weeks later, uh, there was the account stolen by Smith, which is for the Queens University Business School. And I saw it and something kind of clicked with me. And I thought, you know, this isn't an American problem. This is a problem with the entire world. And it's definitely something that affects uh, post-secondary institutions. So I decided to make one for Western. And what has been the reaction so far? How many followers have you accumulated in what amount of time? Uh, so I've had the account for, I, I want to say almost a month now. And I have over 3,500 followers. I'm not quite sure the, um, the number because it kind of changes every day. Mm -hmm. uh, and largely, the response has been really positive. Uh, I get a lot of direct messages from people thanking me for making them not feel alone, for um, holding Western accountable for the culture that at, at, at the school. Um, but sometimes I do get some less than nice uh, responses. Um, I think something noteworthy is that in my in my submissions, the probably the second or third submission I got was someone saying, oh, you should do a post telling people not to fabricate these stories. And I, I feel like that really exemplifies the attitude that we have towards uh, marginalized people telling their experiences. Like the default is that can't be true. This is too awful. We don't want to hear it. And I really don't, I don't think it's helpful because that's the reason why these things go unreported officially anyway. Um, so that was one thing I found really interesting in my submissions. <laughs> I find it interesting you say that because um, a lot of the content I've been working on throughout the summer, um, obviously if it's not COVID, then it's about um, Black Lives Matter and, and George Floyd because that is the movement of our time right now is exposing all of this Honestly, it, it's 
it's interesting to me because I've heard that from many people I've spoken to, be they Black or Indigenous, that a lot of the time they will try to tell their story and they'll try to tell their experience. And usually the one of the first knee-jerk almost reactions that they get is this isn't real. People don't believe them. Um, why do you think that that's often a reaction that people kind of resort to or, or go to or have that this is too awful to be real, so it must not be real, even though the evidence is right there in these posts that you have? Yeah, I think it's definitely, it doesn't come from a malicious place. I think that people, um, you know, white, straight, cis people, I think that when they hear these stories, they feel so awful that they've never had to experience something like that, that they don't even want to, they don't even want to acknowledge it or even take it in because they feel almost out of control. And I also think it's because they, they almost benefit from these stories in a way, like not directly, of course, but you know, in the society that we live in, they benefit from not having to go through those instances. So I think it's just a, it comes from a place of wanting everyone to have the same experience. And although it comes from a place where it's not um, malicious, I still think it's counterproductive. Um, I know it's difficult. And even sometimes, you know, I, I'm a black woman, but sometimes I hear the stories and that's my knee jerk response is to want to say, I can't believe this happened. But I think that's something that we need to start straying away from because, you know, with stuff like George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, like we can believe that this instance of microaggressions in the classroom happened if black men are getting killed on the street. You know what I mean? So I feel as though um, we can act shocked and sad, but we shouldn't say, I can't believe this happened because we can. <laughs> yeah. 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 Even with, um, you know, the video of George Floyd's death right there for everyone to see, I've mm -hmm. still seen conspiracy theories of people saying that that was staged, that that was fake. Um, the, the level of disbelief right now, even when we do have facts presented to us, um, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, it's very telling. And I kind of want to go back to what you said about holding Western accountable. Um, have you had any response from Western or from the Western community at all, um, faculty, staff, representatives about this account? What have they had to say? Yeah, so I have had some response. Um, I, in terms of holding Western accountable, there was a... Um, I think it was like an anti-racism task force that was enacted this past year. And I kind of wanted my account to be almost something to accompany that because not everyone's going to read the report that they came out with, but it's easy to read the, this anecdotal evidence. Mm -hmm. And I do try to point people in the direction of that report. Um, I've, I've spoken to the VP of student experience and I've voiced concerns specifically about the reporting process for these things and the um, stuff that happens on campus in terms of interacting with residence advisors, um, lecturers, professors, all those types of people. Cause there's, there's way too many stories where it's not just a social situation between people. It's actually 
an instance in the classroom or on residence. And I think um, to make valuable allies, uh, to have the, the university foster that kind of relationship with the students is really important. Um, so I spoke with her about that. And she also helped me in an instance where there was a student maybe in distress. Uh, she gave me a lot of resources to help someone who is reaching out for help. So that was nice. Um, I've also more collaborated with student associations like the um, Black Student Association. There's another page called Black at Western. Um, and there's another page called Ivy at the Margins. And I've definitely been collaborating with them on how we can turn these Instagram pages into real change at, at post-secondary institutions. Um, so yeah, so there, there has been a good response from the university and I was hopeful as well. So I'm, I'm glad to see that they're reaching out. Let's talk a little bit about um, what these stories do expose about the culture at Western, which how many posts do you have at this point? So there are 59 posts at this point, um, mm -hmm. over 3,600 uh, followers. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that is a fair chunk of students uh, uh, saying that this is uh, happening, um, that these are the stories that have happened to them. As you said, it's more, it's better in a way uh, when these things are anecdotal. It's good to have data, but it's also good to have the anecdotes. Mm -hmm. um, the most recent post is about, um, I'm going to read it. I've heard my white peers mock the accents of our BIPOC profs, and yet they compliment the accent of a white prof from another English-speaking country. A classmate told me they were surprised they could understand our prof who had a common Chinese last name. The achievements of women and BIPOC are often downplayed and success is credited to being a minority. Racism sits deep within the faculty of engineering and it begins with having a disproportionately white soft team who have, who have been known to prioritize party culture over making their frosh feel included, safe and supported. Um, this is one example of what I believe is called a microaggression. And uh, what can you tell me about these little subtle um, actions that make people feel not included or, or, not, or not proportionately represented in their faculty? Um, what do these posts have to say about Western's racist culture? Yeah, so in terms of microaggressions, I view it as something or, or something someone says or does that's almost an indirect instance of prejudice or discrimination. Um, there are statements that, or things that people do that other people that make them feel like they don't belong. And uh, they can even make people feel dehumanized. So I feel like the post that you referred to is definitely an instance because they outright say that, you know, um, profs that come from countries that don't speak English, their accents are mocked. Well, maybe someone with a British accent, it's more posh or acceptable. And <clears throat> I feel like it does discredit the achievements of this person because, you know, they're speaking another language and they're teaching in another language, which is even more impressive. 
Um, I don't think the university would hire someone who would not be able to communicate in English. So I think it's up to students and English speaking people to, you know, just listen a little closer, listen a little, it's not that hard, <laughs> you know, listen a little better. And I'm sure that, you know, if you go past the, the accent, you'll be just fine. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it says about Western is these microaggressions, they almost, I said the word dehumanize and I want to be clear about it because, you know, for me as, um, as a black woman, you know, at, when I went to Western, I'd go out to seeps or frog or whatever a Western student does on the weekends and just people will just come up and touch my hair. And, yeah. And, you know, going back to kind of ignoring or denying that something is a problem, I, I would tell, you know, my, my white peers, you know, these people just touched my hair. And they're like, oh, people touch my hair too. And that right there is just discrediting my experience. And also, I, I think I can determine for myself if something is appropriate or not, because if someone just reaches out and just starts going for your hair, it's almost like they're neglecting the fact that, oh, maybe you styled it and you don't want people's hands in it. And in the time of COVID, that's apparent, that's definitely relevant, you know, like people shouldn't touch people without their permission, no matter what situation it is. And even just asking you know like can I touch your hair um it's almost like it's it's dehumanizing because it's almost like I'm I'm some like oh it's so different that I just have to put my hands in it when I've never done that in my life to someone like I've never I've never gone up to a white person just started tugging on their ponytail like <laughs> and it happens in the workplace too so I think it just shows that um students at Western they just and again, I'm generalizing, but I think that's fair. <laughs> um, students at Western, when they see someone that looks different than them, it's like immediate like awe and um, othering this person rather than just saying, oh, they just look different than me. And like, it just goes past them. Um, in terms of the posts, I'm going relatively slow with them just because I asked, I pulled my audience because, um, you know, some of the accounts are really turning out the posts, mm -hmm. but I asked my audience, like, would you prefer to have a couple per day just so that they can sit and people can send them to each other and they have their time? Because I, I, I feel that um, with Instagram's algorithm, if you spam post every single day, then some of the stories are going to go missed. And I want to make sure that everyone has their time. Uh, their their story to ha like just lay a little and have their time to have it heard by as many people as possible. So the one thing that's um, surprising about these accounts is that a university is supposed to be a place for everybody. And um, we should know that by now, that mm -hmm. university is uh, for everyone, a safe place. Everybody has the right to learn. Mm -hmm. um, and yet we still have really, you know, supposedly smart, intelligent people coming to a place of higher learning 
um, coming to hopefully, ideally, they're they're coming there to better themselves and better the world, and yet these things still happen. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think that says about university culture in Canada? Yeah, well, I think in terms of university culture, there are definitely still barriers for, um, especially Indigenous people in Canada and people of lower socioeconomic status. And, you know, all those things go hand in hand with race and yeah, like race and class are hand in hand. So you can't really escape that. And I think too, it just, it says, I'll try to, let me just think about it for a second. I feel as though specifically too with schools like Western, Queens, Guelph, like the ones when you start kind of venturing a little further out from the GTA, you know, those are the ones where you go there because they have a great reputation and they're great schools and also because you're going to have fun. You know, um, you go away, you live in residence and you're supposed to have fun. And I think something that people need to think about is that, you know, from my experience, um, I'm from Mississauga, so in the GTA, you almost, as a, as a marginalized person, when you're looking at these universities, you think to yourself, oh, I could go to U of T and, you know, I wouldn't look different than a lot of people and people wouldn't, the microaggressions might be a little lower. Um, but, you know, U of T, there's that, that, <laughs> there's that stereotype there where if you go to U of T, it's super, super hard and you're probably going to live at home and it's like a little overwhelming. Whereas places like Western, you're in London and it's, it's just like a fun time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that marginalized people should have to make that choice, you know, choosing between going to, you know, people nickname uh, University of Toronto uh, you of tears, you know, because it's so hard and like everyone's all depressed and stuff. So you shouldn't have to choose between having the going away university experience and feeling secure and safe in your identity. And I think that's what ends up happening. You know, um, I want people to know that I personally, I had a nice time at Western. I had fun. I made some really good friends. But some really messed up stuff happened to me too because of the way that I look. Mm-hmm. Um, the first story is actually my personal one. Um, and that one, that, <laughs> that one was uh, quite an extreme, do you, do you, not that you would offhand remember what happened, but do you, do you know the one I'm talking about or? No, please uh, tell me. <clears throat> okay, so, yeah. um, so this was in my first year. And I was in Saugeen, you know, like the zoo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was in Saugeen, and I, I really wanted that traditional, like, bed, bed, you know, two roommates experience, like the mm-hmm. very traditional dorm style. And I got it. So I was super excited. Um, so one, I, this probably was in the first half of the year. Um, one Sunday morning, so after, you know, Saturday night, the the floor parties, all that. My friend, um, my friend who, uh, she's from Nepal, so she's also a visible minority. She walked into our study room, which you can only access by key card. You need to have a key to our floor uh, to get in there. She walked into our study room and it said, kill all N-words 
on Whoa. the board. Yeah. In your study room. In our study room. Yeah. I'm smiling, but it's yeah. coping mechanisms. <laughs> right. It's that's extreme. Extreme. Um, but it happened, but it really it, happened. Yeah. It really did happen. So yeah. um my friend was, you know, shaken. Like she's not even part of the minority that was targeted, but she she was freaking out. Um, and she got our RA who, you know, when you're, you know, I was 17 when I started university because I have a late birthday. Like mm-hmm. we're teenagers at this point. This is our first time like living away from home for a while. That's of a people. shock then. That's a yeah. shock. And that's, yeah. that's a violent threat, obviously. It's the other reason I'm so shocked. Like that is a hateful, violent threat. That's terrifying. Yeah. yeah. yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went to our RA, our residence advisor, because, you know, in that situation, that's what, you're, that's what you do. You go to the person who's supposed to know what to do. You know, they yep. work with the university. So we go to her and she comes into the study room. She looks at the, the, the writing on the board and she just erases it. She doesn't take a picture. She doesn't do anything. She erases it. And she says, we're going to have a floor meeting tomorrow and we're going to address this. And as soon as she erased it, I, I felt disheartened because I'm like, oh, like I... I I don't know, like I had a little bit of hope. I'm like, maybe in the floor meeting, we'll have something really productive. But as soon as she erased it, I kind of knew in my heart that this wasn't going the direction that it should. Yeah. Yeah. So we have the floor meeting and, you know, I was on kind of a wild floor and we, it turns into this almost like a diatribe about how our floor is so bad and we're embarrassing her in front of her boss. And it becomes more of like a general kind of like we're bad thing. There was no real mention of race. So our RAs, are they students as well? Yeah, they're students as well, but they work for the residents and they work for the university. They're supposed to have training. They're supposed to have know all the resources. That's what's well, that's what I think they should. I'm, I don't know. I think that's what they're supposed to do, you know? Yeah. So no real mention of what was written on the board. Afterwards, no one came to check in. I was one of four Black people on the floor. No one came to check in with me or anyone else. The residence manager, I have no idea if he was notified because that was the last I heard of it. And then for me, I'm like, okay, so that's, I guess that's the end of that, you know? And I I just remember being in my dorm and feeling so just like, and this is, it's such a complicated thing, but I was like, did I make someone mad? Like, did I do something wrong that someone would want to write that? Like, did I annoy someone? And that's like, never how anyone should feel. Like racism is racism. Yeah, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be trying to figure out if, whether or not it was your fault or whether or not you did anything when your life was threatened. <laughs> was it not? Like that? Yeah, I guess it was. <laughs> wow. And this is, you're 17 years old and this is when you go to university and you want to have that dorm experience that you see in the movies that we're led to believe belongs to everybody, mm-hmm. that you're supposed to feel safe. You're paying tuition for this, for God's sake. Yeah. You're yeah. supposed to have a good time. Yep. And how how soon did the how long had you been there when this happened? Honestly, like so, sometimes I sometimes I forget it. Like 
it's weird. Like I put it in a different place than I put my first year, if that makes sense in my head. Yeah. Like I'm like, this happened, but like, this is my first year, but they did happen in my, they both did. This happened in your first year. Yeah. So Hmm. I, I believe it was, it was either very early on in second semester or the end of first semester, I think. Because that was kind of the end of it, you know? Um, and that's kind of the, the problem too, is that um, students don't know the resources that they have, like of making a formal complaint or anything. But mm-hmm. I also take, I take issue with the formal complaint process just because it it's all on the student. Like if you want something to happen where, you know, a prof says something offside or whatever, it's all on the student to want to, um, continue that and pursue that where I don't think they like they have enough going on (laughs) it's um we live in this kind of interesting system I think socially culturally where for women victims of sexual assault for people who yeah it's it's kind of the it's um it's on it's on them to take care of themselves and we don't really have a society that takes care of them I feel mm-hmm. there there are some problems there because you, that threat against your life was literally erased. That yeah. was the first thing that that was done, is that mm-hmm. it was erased. And um, I'm I'm 30. I've been graduated for a while, and I like that's terrifying. Again, like that that's really serious, and mm-hmm. it was just erased off of the board. Yeah, and and you were left uh, 17 years old trying to figure out what you had done wrong. Yeah. And yeah. and something too about the reaction of my my peers <clears throat> my peers is they were laughing, you know, the these people wow. I guess who weren't affected by the word, they were laughing and I I asked, I was like, "Why are you guys laughing?" And they said, "Oh, it's so ridiculous that it's funny." And wow. I, yeah, it's obviously not because George Floyd, like, you know, like, it's obviously not so ridiculous. Like, people do get killed for um, their, their sexual orientation, their identity, their, their skin color, that they get killed because of that. So it's, and we're not, like, I think those types of people that would laugh at that, they think we're so far removed from, uh, I guess, like, the civil rights movement or slavery or anything of that sort that's why they think it's funny but it's not not at all and you know the civil rights movement wasn't really that long ago no still under a century and we still have a long way to move forward Mm -hmm. and um people forget another interesting theme that has come up when it comes to when I have these conversations is that a lot of people have don't know their history and they've forgotten to look back Um, And again, this is university. This is where we're supposed to be students of the universe, of the world. We're supposed to have that perspective. Um, So what what does this say? What would you say to anybody who said, we don't have a racism problem in Canada? And that's just in the, the United States. I would say that it's a very naive perspective to have. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a fact that's... Um, spoken a lot, but, you know, the last residential school closed in, I think, 1997. Yeah. Um, so 
definitely in your lifetime. Um, I was, I was just born in our parents' lifetime for sure. They're not super old. <laughs> I remember, I remember when that happened. I remember I was seven years old. There you go. Like, it's not that long ago, man. It's like, not that, long ago. And that, <laughs> yeah. was, that was a cultural genocide. I mean, people, people don't realize, I think because there's this rhetoric that, um, I don't know who said this quote, but like, we're, we're like an apartment above a meth lab. You know, we're, we're the little apartment above, um, the U S <laughs> that's a yeah, meth lab. Like I've heard that people. before. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's harmful because it just allows us to kind of pat ourselves on the back and say, whoa, like, at least we're not that. But the bar is so low, like at least. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> like the bar is so low, at least we're not like, at least the police aren't murdering black people that blatantly. But I mean, I would oh, encourage people to look into the Starlight Tours. I mean, that happened, I think, either in the late 90s or early 2000s, but police officers in Saskatoon, yeah, Saskatoon, <laughs> I believe it was Saskatoon, um, they were taking, you know, Indigenous people who were intoxicated, driving them to the outskirts of the city, and just leaving them there to freeze in the middle of winter. Mm -hmm. um, that was not that long ago. And I'm sure stuff still happens like that and we don't know about it. I mean, there's the missing and murdered indigenous woman. You yeah. just have to look into that to know that there's a real issue there. Um, and just, I think we need to hold ourselves accountable and it's almost like a hopeful thing too. Like it's not, it doesn't have to be all negative. It can be like, okay, so we're quote better than the US. But we can be even better than that. Like we don't we we don't have to just keep comparing ourselves to them. Yeah. We can make more steps forward to be even better. Yeah. And and um there's plenty of information out there as well. All we have to do is listen to the people who are telling their stories, mm -hmm. which is the point of the account. Yes. Uh let me see what else, if there's anything else I wanted to cover. I mean <laughs> How can we do better is always is always my question, um, yeah. especially when I'm interviewing people who have had these experiences. What what can we do to do better? You know, I feel as though just not being a performative ally, just finding it within yourself to actually care about these things. Um, I think recognizing that being defensive when these situations arrive um, I, I don't, I don't want to blame people for being defensive because, you know, it can be a hard pill to swallow, you know, and I think it's okay to feel defensive, but as long as you kind of check yourself and reel yourself in and say, I'm feeling defensive for no reason, um, then I think that you can make some really good progress. I think just as you said, listen to people who are telling their stories. Don't default think that they're exaggerating or um, feel so almost fragile in yourself that you just think that maybe they're not telling the truth. In terms of being defensive, um, a specific instance having to do with my Instagram account mm -hmm. is that uh, there was an account called Ivy Appreciate and it, it was, 
I kind of, when I talk to people about it, I say it was almost the all lives matter of uh, post-secondary activism, where they obviously felt so attacked by people sharing their negative experiences at mm. Ivy at Western mm-hmm. that they felt the need to make an account um, appreciating Ivy and Western, which is un it's unnecessary because we all know that you know Western is a like a very prestigious school western loves to say we have the best student experience you know (laughs) like it's if if something has so much prestige already there's no reason to give it even more and yeah if, if you make an account directly in response to people airing their grievances then I'd ask them to look inside themselves and be like why am I actually making this account um is it to actually appreciate Ivy or is it because I feel defensive and uh, threatened by marginalized people sharing their experiences. Um, so I just say, you know, like look inward, read, read a lot of books because there's some really good ones. I'll shout out um, Between the World and Me by Tanahasi Coates, really good. Um, there's another one, um, I think her name is Rennie Ito Lodge. And her book is called Why I'm Not Talking uh, About Race Anymore. That's a really good one too. But there's tons of books. All you have to do is look online, put like Black Lives Matter reading list, and you will find some very, very uh, interesting books written by some very, very smart people. And they can explain things far better than me, (laughs) Um, far better than your Black friend that you're like, hey, like... (laughs) (laughs) it's like a random thing it's it's funny to me (laughs) like I I think something out there too is you know your your marginalized friends it's oh it's okay to ask them some questions but they might be dealing with a lot right now especially Mm -hmm. the current like situation (laughs) um so bombarding them with questions about why you shouldn't be racist. I'm, I'm being hyperbolic. I'm, I'm just out here. But, you know, yeah. like bombarding your, your, um, your marginalized friends with questions about racism, it, it might not be the best use of your time when you can seek out your own resources. It's different if you say, I read this book and ask a question. It's, it's, it's different than if you just go, what's white privilege? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, yeah, um, it shows them that you put in some effort already, whereas the other way is kind of like the easy way out. (laughs) Yeah, it's not, it's not exactly up to that individual person to educate you when that information is out there created by expert, expert writers, expert academics, um, expert Mm -hmm. sociologists. Yeah, 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 these people I am assuming everybody, especially in times like these kind of just want to chill and, and relax a little bit, but I, it does, I did have one more question just in that terms or are on that vein of um, supporting your friends who are, um, you know, marginalized people, um, people of color. Um, One Western experience that I know of, I'm a graduate as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I've witnessed this myself where I will be in class and the instructor will not call on, um, in my, my experience, there's actually a trans student. Um, the, the, the professor just ignored, ignored her. 
Um, and every time that person would try to speak, the professor would go, would you please speak up? Um, just kind of, uh, there would be, you could tell that there were different reactions to um, students who were uh, visible minorities or who were um, queer. Uh, yeah. and, I, and I've heard that a lot from Western, that you'll be in a class and that you will be treated differently um, because maybe the professor sees you as different. I'm using air quotes here. Mm -hmm. um, how can students in a class in that situation um, respond or support that peer? How they can. So something I used to joke about with my friends is that um, whenever I volunteered an anecdote or perspective on, you know, uh, Black issues, uh, issues that Black women faced, there was something that I always found unhelpful. <laughs> and it was if I would say my experience, and then someone would be like, you'd hear these audible gasps of like, <gasps> like sorrow in the room. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I understand it's an emotional response and whatever story I was telling might elicit that. But mm -hmm. at the same time, you know, having uh, someone not from that community just gasp like, oh my gosh, like I can't believe this happened. You know, it's not helpful because I'm telling you the story and I have to believe it happened because mm -hmm. it happened. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I think not doing that, you know, you can express your concern, you can have emotion, but just not doing that, that thing where you're, oh, I'm so sorry, like just like that super emotional response, because, mm -hmm. you know, if I'm telling the story, it means I've lived through it, I've kind of absorbed it. And now it's just my normal. So I, I I'm kind of just not, not about that. Yeah. It's, it's just, and I used to joke about it with my friends sometimes. I'd be like, oh, I told a story in class. And everyone was like, oh. And this is, and this is your reality. Yes. Yeah. And, so, yeah. yeah. Hearing, hearing people be like gasping and like, oh my God, you know, it's not, it's not really helpful for someone <laughs> to say, I'm sorry that happened to you and be like very like pragmatic that, you know, that's, that's some good validation, but yeah, the, the kind of weepy hyper emotional stuff like if you feel that way um I understand because you know feeling despair in our world today I, I completely understand that but just try to hold it together for the person who actually had to experience it <laughs> well and also it makes me think of um one thing we can all do better for people who are going through something is is accepting that this is part of their experience this is part of their reality it shouldn't be you know, back to the story about what was written on the chalkboard, like that's as devastating as that is. It's definitely not the first story I've heard. Mm -hmm. um, I, because uh, I think we can all do a little bit better by we, I mean, I mean, um, people who are non-minorities, who are not visible minorities. Um, I'm a white person. So one thing I can do better is just be more accepting of the fact that this is the world that we live in. Mm -hmm. um, not put blinders on to the situation that this yeah. is daily, that this is daily life for some people. Mm -hmm. And it, it might be like a dramatic shock for me, but it's only a dramatic shock for me because I've never experienced anything like that. Mm -hmm. I've never, I've never gone to what should have been a safe study space to have my life threatened on a chalkboard. Yeah. Um, but I, I do recognize that for a lot of people, that's just life. 
Mm -hmm. and and you can point it out but it's better to deal with the fact that this is just life yeah than than to live in a world where I don't want to look at it I'd rather look at it and deal with the problem than look away yeah absolutely which brings me back to UWO minority story Um, let's finish off just by talking about the future of this account and where you see things going especially as we head into the academic term in the fall Mm -hmm. yeah so I think uh, I mentioned before, I want I want it to be a safe space for people to tell their stories and get validation and get that support that maybe they didn't get when they told it to their friends initially or uh, whatever they may have experienced. I want it to be an accompaniment for the, um, the associations on campus, the cultural clubs, uh, the Black Student Association, I want it to be something that can hold Western accountable because I, another criticism I received was like, Western is trying, like Western, you know, it's not like they were trying to compare, it's actually funny. Um, They're trying to compare Western to Queens, which we love to do. You know, we love to be like, well, we're not Queens. We're not, we're not that, you know, we're not that bad. We don't have those racist parties, but you know, Queens and Western are... But didn't Western only just a few months ago admit that that one professor who was... um, What was his name? Uh, What was his name? Yeah, Uh, what was it? Uh, I don't know his first name, but his last name is Rushton. Rushton, Rushton. Um, He promoted eugenics. Yep. Yeah, and it was only in light of uh, Black Lives Matter and uh, the George, in retrospect of the George Floyd situation, that Western finally admitted that that professor was wrong. And yeah. that was only very, and that's, does Queens have like a Rushton? Like that's huge. <laughs> like, and that's I, only oh no. very recently that uh, Western finally said something about it and, and took a stand on it. So, yeah, I, I mean, his, his work, um, alt-right and white supremacist people use his work as direct like um, evidence of their beliefs. So yeah, I don't, I don't like Queens may have something similar, but I guess my entire point is, you know, just yeah. because London is a bigger city than Kingston or we're, you know, a little more diverse doesn't mean that we don't have work to do. Um, there's still an obvious problem um, yeah. as exemplified by the report that was released where they basically came to the conclusion that Western has an image of uh, diversity, inclusion, and equity, but no real structures in place to facilitate that. And I think that's what I want my account to do, to point people to the reports, to point people to the open letter that the Black Student Association wrote, um, to hold them accountable, because it's easy for someone to say, yeah, this is a problem, and then like slowly work on it. And I know it's a big problem and changes aren't gonna happen overnight, but if we can hold them accountable, put some pressure on them saying, we're still here and we need you guys to really, really put the effort into changing the culture on campus Mm -hmm. and ensuring that people don't feel dehumanized by just simply going to Western. Um, If my account can help in that, that's just like my main goal. I also think too, um, just a side note, and I've been kind of, I've been saying this to some some people, some other news outlets. Mm-hmm. I think that 
in terms of required courses. And I think that this should be extended to, you know, our public education system as well, you know, before you go to university. But in terms of just on university, I really do think that if we can require someone to take this many essay courses or this many science courses, we should be able to require students to take an anti-racism, anti-discrimination course. Because I think what happens is like, um, say I'm in an engineering degree. That means that I personally have to make it a priority of mine to read um, books to educate myself about being anti-racist. And I don't think that should, should be the case. I think I was um, in a degree where I could not uh, stray away from you know identity politics and all that stuff, but that's not everyone that goes to Western or to any post-secondary school. Um, so I think we should be looking into making those courses required. Um, I think that they can be really interesting too. I don't think, I, unless you're racist, I, you know, it's like a big bold statement, but unless you're racist, I don't think you should have a problem with taking a course like that. And mm-hmm. I can confidently say that, um, because, you know, one of my electives was the Harry Potter course. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that course. Yeah, it's it's fun, but like yeah. I noticed a lot of science people took it because it's fun. <laughs> you know, like if we if we make um you know anti discrimination courses mandatory, and it could even just be like a point five, it could have an impact and could give people that you know academic uh, discourse that they otherwise wouldn't get. Yeah, true, true. Um, Vanessa, I'm gonna have to leave it off here. Um, but is there an overall takeaway or any, any final words that you'd like to have before I let you go? Um, I think I'd like to say thank you to everyone who is supporting my page. Thank you for having me on the podcast. And um, I just want anyone who has ever been made to feel other or dehumanized because of the way they look, their sexual orientation, their gender, um, that you're not alone and progress is being made and I know it's a hard time but I'm hopeful and I hope that the progress that's being made right now makes you hopeful as well. Wonderful. Thank you so much Vanessa for your time Um, and again for anybody who wants to find you on Instagram it is at UWO Minority Story correct? Okay and then also that's where they can find the information to fill out a form and and submit their story? Yep there's a link right in the bio and um, right now I have over 300 submissions, but I'm oh. getting through them. I'm getting through them. Yeah. Um, you'll probably see yours up there. Just, I want to make sure everyone's has their time to be in the spotlight. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much again for your time. And that was Vanessa Patterson. This was the Interbank uh, podcast and we'll see you next week. Thanks Vanessa. Thank you. Bye.